0: it is with great bitterness that we announced to the Chadian people this Tuesday April 20th the death of the marshal of Chad Idris Debi Itno following his injuries from the front against the terrorists horde coming from Libya the transitional military council guarantees national independence, territorial integrity, national unity, respects international accords and treaties and ensure the transition period for 18 months. National assembly and government are dissolved, a curfew is installed, air and land borders are closed until further notice. A transitional government will be implemented and new republican institutions will be implemented at the end of the transitional period after a free, democratic, and transparent
1: election.
2: These words were spoken by army spokesman, General Azem Bermandua-Agona, surrounded by senior officers from the Chadian military. Standing on his right was Lieutenant General Mahamat Idris Debi, the son of the now former Chadian president and the new interim leader of the nation. The death of his father, Idris Deby, the president of Chad for three decades, has left a power vacuum in a region that is already rife with instability, fueling more uncertainty, violence, geopolitical posturing and criminal opportunity in the Sahel. Chad is a major hub for trafficking activities, including drugs, people, gold and vehicles, the porous borders at the extremities contain mercenary groups and bandits, many situated around the vast artisanal gold mines in the north. The death of Debi will reshape the illicit economies, not only in Chad, but the entire region. This is Africa and the Global Illicit Economy from the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime. I'm Lindim Tongana. Is the death of Debbie? On the eleventh of April, twenty twenty one, while Chadians went to the polls for the country's presidential election up to 1,000 fighters from the rebel group known as Front for Change and Concord in Chad, or FACT, swept through the Korzo Pass, 65 kilometers south of Libya, on Chad's border with Niger. Within days, the rebels had moved swiftly through northern Chad. By the 19th of April, provisional results showed that Idris Deby, the Chadian president, had won a sixth term in office taking 79.3% of the vote, although the opposition did boycott the election in protest against his continued rule. In the capital in Jamena, excited supporters waited to welcome the re-elected president, who was due to give his victory speech. But the news filtered out from the party that he had instead gone to visit Chadian soldiers fighting on the front lines in Kanem, just 300 kilometers from the capital.
3: This is the region from where most of the fact fighters hail. They may have been hoping local people would join them. And it's also possible they had sent an advanced team. The, the area is probably less good for guerrilla than Tibesti, But it is still a very difficult terrain of, of sand dunes, which, which can benefit to those who know well the area.
2: Jerome Tubiana is an independent researcher specialising in Chad, Sudan and Libya.
3: It seems until the FACT had reached Canem, either the Chadian army had not been able to intercept them or they had decided the battle should take place there in Canem. Many people were expecting the French aircraft would bomb the FACT, like they had done on the UFR column in 2019. But they didn't do it, presuming both Chadian aircraft and and ground forces were sufficient. Still, the French aircraft provided Chadian forces with, with crucial information on the FACT's positions. In spite of this, on on day one, it seems the Chadian army was surprised by the strength of the fact. The force was 300 cars, which is not unusual for a Chadian rebel raid, but apparently more heavily equipped than expected. There were heavy losses on both sides, including uh, several army generals.
2: It was at this point that President Deby, fresh from his election victory, arrived and took command. It was also said that
3: when he arrived, most uh, most of the fact was already defeated, but that he insisted on leading himself the, the last battle. It was said that he was about to be killed and, and captured and was saved at the last minute from a clash in, in which several officers with him were killed. However, it is not clear whether he was injured during that episode or if, as uh, it has been increasingly said, he was injured later in a dispute with an angry general from his own tribe, a dispute uh, related to the, to older grievances, including maybe that uh, episode of uh, Yaya Dilo's uh, uh, defection and, uh, and uh, attack against him.
2: The confusion surrounding the actual circumstances of Debbie's death makes the situation even more murky. Indeed, Jerome mentioned Yaya Dilo. He's the cousin of Debbie. The family dynamics in Chadian politics and relating to various rebel groups is quite remarkable so perhaps let's take a moment to mention the episode of Yaya Dilo Yaya Dilo was a former rebel commander who fought against Deby's government in 2006 before joining his government as a minister but in the most recent election Dilo attempted to run for the presidency against Deby
3: that was actually, uh, that provoked a main crisis, showing that uh, when you are from Debbie's family or even from Debbie's tribe, it's it's even dif- more difficult than for anyone to actually uh, be- become a, a, a rebel and to oppose the president, uh, even uh, by peaceful means. Uh, Debi sent tanks to arrest uh, Yaya Dilo, and uh, that was just before the latest election in, in February. and uh, and. Um, Uh, Dilo's mother was killed. uh, That actually created um, uh, big divisions and dissents within the the Zawa community. And uh, it may, I think, have actually contributed maybe even more than the fact attack to to Debbie's death.
2: After the battle, both sides had suffered significant casualties. But it appeared to be a loss for fact as they announced a strategic retreat Fast forward to May and the Chadian army are claiming victory over the rebels, although this is disputed by fact.
4: Chad soldiers were greeted with cheers as they returned to the capital in Jormena on Sunday. The military says it had defeated northern rebels following weeks of fighting. It was in those clashes that President Idris Deby was killed, after which a military council assumed power. On Sunday, the military displayed prisoners and vehicles from the Front for Change and Concord in charge for the media. Abaka Abdul-Kerim Dawood is the Chadian Army's Chief of General Staff.
5: We brought back war prisoners and their gear. We cleaned up all the areas where they infiltrated and I can guarantee that the whole territory is secured. We ask the people to return to their normal occupations and enjoy regained peace. Our country is secured. Thanks to God.
4: However, this is not the first time that the transitional military authorities have declared victory, only for fighting to then continue. The rebel group which crossed the border with Libya in April says it was not aware of an end to fighting. A spokesman said they would comment when there was reliable and credible information.
2: So, who are FACT, and where did they come from? The group was founded by Mahamat Mahadi Ali, who has been part of a number of Chadian rebel movements since the late 1970s.
3: Mahamat Mahadi, well, I I met him actually quite lately, and I was very interested in discovering someone who has actually quite a long uh, history as, as a junior rebel leader. In the, in the Chadian uh, rebellion, because he's a, bit, he's a bit younger, slightly younger than the, the paramount older figures.
6: Uh,
3: he joined the rebellion when he was very young. Uh, he told me he was only 14, so he, jokingly uh, I told him that he were then a child soldier and
2: he agreed. Mahadi went on to live in exile in France, where he became a member of the French Socialist Party before returning to Chad to join the Union of Forces for Democracy and Development, the UFDD, led by former Debi ally, Mahamat Nouri. In 2008, the UFDD and other rebel groups almost toppled Debi from power, even attacking the capital in Jamena, before a forced withdrawal. In 2015, Nouri, in exile in France, sent Mahadi to Libya to take control of the UFDD fighters, Division among the UFDD led to a split. Fact, Mahadi was one of those groups who had the aim of overthrowing Debi and establishing democracy in Chad. Now, an aspect of these rebel groups is that they often operate as mercenary forces. And to the north is Libya, a country that in 2016 was in the midst of a second civil war.
7: Yeah, a lot of these groups do indeed operate as mercenaries. In fact, had been for the vast majority of its existence based in Libya to begin with.
2: Ahmad Badi is a senior analyst at the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime.
7: In Libya, they operated as for years as kind of guns for hire. They offered their services to the highest bidder in terms of parties to the conflict, so their alignment was somewhat fluid. And they benefited from equipment supplied by the conflict parties and the ability to kind of also benefit from war spoils or conflict spoils, and engagement in criminal economic activities like trafficking, smuggling, and gold mining. But in terms of alignment with conflict parties, for the better part of its existence, most of its fighters have been aligned with Khalifa Haftar's Libyan Arab Armed Forces in Libya. So they benefited substantially from weaponry that was supplied to Haftar, and even capacity building by some of the other mercenaries, notably the Russians ones that became part and parcel of Haftar's Libyan Arab Armed Forces post-2019 in terms of conflict engagement, let's say.
2: Field Marshal Khalifa Haftar has been part of the political scene in Libya since 1969, when he was one of the officers led by Colonel Gaddafi, which seized power from King Idris. He was put in charge of the Libya-Chad conflict during the 1980s, where he was captured by the Chadians. He was abandoned by Gaddafi, leading to a two decade long mission to topple the Libyan dictator. Finally, seeing this achieved in 2011 as one of the rebel commanders. As Libya became engulfed in civil war, Haftar led the eastern based forces under Operation Dignity. In 2017, Haftar's forces took Jufra, the area where FACT were based. They didn't leave. Instead, they signed a non-aggression pact with Haftar's Libyan National Army, the LNA. This conflict experience cannot be underestimated.
7: Had FACT not been engaged in Libya, it would not have the amount of military equipment, the amount of military kind of expertise that it benefited from. The group was founded by defecting Chadian army officers, but the bulk of the rank and file basically raised their military expertise or gained conflict experience in Libya and then also the group's military capacity was predominantly derived either from Libya's conflict parties themselves and their foreign backers or from engagement revenue-wise in illicit economic activities. So yes, they did directly benefit from that and that's part of the reason why they'll ultimately not leave unless coerced into leaving.
2: They happened to be based in a region with porous borders, little state control, and synonymous with illicit activities. And they utilized that.
7: So FACT in particular was raising revenue through engagement and trafficking, smuggling, as well as gold mining in uh, southern Libya with the Libyan-Chadian-Sudanese kind of border triangle. That's what they profited off of mostly and actually a substantial amount of their funds were derived through engagement in economic activities, aside the military equipment that they benefited from by alignment with Haftar. So the group kind of split from 2016 onwards into those that operated as mercenaries, so those that engaged in conflict, and those that predominantly operated in the illicit realm, with obvious overlaps between both as well.
2: Now, in 2021, there is a precarious ceasefire in place in Libya, brokered by the United Nations and leading to a government of national unity under Abdel Hamid Dabaiba. Has this forced militia groups to return home?
7: In many ways, this this transition is almost in in paper only. Uh, A lot of the mercenaries are not exclusively returning because of the shift in Libya, but actually because of shifts domestically. On the Chadian side, you had fact that uh, de facto launched its incursion after the failure of Haftar's offensive on Tripoli and after the environment in Libya kind of became less propitious for it to retain a footprint or a significant footprint there. But that doesn't mean that they'll be completely out of the picture. They're still maintain a footprint in Libya. Part of that is linked to the economic engagement, this illicit revenue raising to an extent. And then part of it is also linked to the fact that, well, Libya's transition is precarious, therefore aligning with one or another conflict party might prove beneficial in the future, particularly since those might actually fund them or provide military equipment to them.
2: This illicit revenue that Ahmad just mentioned, perhaps it's best at this moment to look at where that revenue comes from and the role of this region in illicit markets. And the best place to start is where Chad is located.
8: Chad plays quite a huge role in the region.
2: Alice Faraday is a senior analyst at the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime.
8: Firstly, I think there are some geographical considerations to look at. So, Chad is a really huge country. It shares over 6,000 kilometers of borders with very volatile regions, Libya, Sudan, Niger, Cameroon, Central African Republic. And not only is it very difficult to have strict state control across such a vast territory, but also within Chad, there are quite a number of socioeconomic challenges. So a large part of the Chadian population relies on illicit economies. So across the country, the context means that organized crime and activities of varying degrees of illicitness, let's say, are really thriving. So it's a very important sort of hub for activities across the region. And secondly, there is one area that concentrates really the most of these activities, and that's certainly the most worrisome for Chad, and that's the north of the country. So the Tibesti region in particular, in the extreme far north, close to the Libyan border, is very much beyond the reach of state control and state services. And it suffered several waves of conflict and instability over the last few decades.
2: I visited Chad in 2016 as a reporter We had flown in from Senegal to explore water management at a refugee camp in the deserts of eastern Chad. From the air, I was immediately struck by how big the country seemed, and empty too. It doesn't take much to recognize how remarkably underdeveloped Chad is. There are few buildings or structures, and I have yet to visit a capital city in Africa with as minimal a tarred road network as N'Djamena. Even on the ground, the further you move away from the capital, the desert seems to stretch on for an eternity. I remember feeling surrounded by a never-ending nothingness. And when a region sees years of conflict, arms trafficking is always a prominent illicit market. In addition to this, the GI has been monitoring and researching the human smuggling and trafficking routes that cross this region. Not to mention the significant labor exploitation in the gold fields north of Chad. It's these trafficking routes and criminal hubs that mercenary forces have utilized to fund their operations.
6: We have many cases of of rebel commanders who leverage the vehicles and, and weapons that they've gained through mercenary work. and and use them to participate in uh, or prey upon uh, some of the illicit economies.
2: This is Alex Bish, a senior analyst at the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime.
6: So, for instance, hashish or, or cocaine trafficking on Sahelian routes. They've both been involved in it or have tried to attempt to hijack, capture, some of the cargo transiting and and they can make the equivalent of millions of dollars just from from one successful raid so it's been a very attractive revenue stream then there's of course the illicit gold mining economy in the north of the country which uh, rebel groups have have been quite heavily involved in
2: gold fields and the illicit mining economy have been at the heart of the development of the criminal economies in the Chad Niger Libya triangle In the Global Initiative's 2019 report, After the Storm, Organized Crime Across the Sahel Sahara, research showed that gold fields play a key role in attracting and facilitating the development of criminal operations, as mining activity gives rise to logistical hubs in highly remote areas, sitting on or close to well-established trafficking routes, and act as centers for the illicit trade of goods, and smuggling of people. Control of these lucrative illicit markets can create serious income. And it was for this reason that Idris Deby tried to curb the illicit market and capture the Chadian goldfields in the north.
6: One of the, the main instances over the past three years of Deby combating the illicit economies has been through the government's war on illicit gold mining in the north. And so from mid 2018 throughout 2019, really, uh, the Chadian government waged a, a war on, on a few gold fields the Kourmogogi uh, gold field and, and the Miski gold field. And for two main reasons. First, because they saw gold mining as a security threat, because Chadian rebel actors were using the gold fields as, as a source of revenue but also because it's been a key area for the recruitment of, of youth into, into rebel groups, but also because the government wanted to actually exploit the gold in an industrial way. And so, you know, securing the goldfields is a mean to do that. Ironically, the effect of, of the government crackdowns um, on the goldfields was more that it stimulated the criminal economies and the rebellion rather than countering it because what happens after a government raid on a gold field, on a gold site, is that gold miners flee the gold field. And, and, and we've heard of many instances where after a crackdown on the gold field, recruitment into uh, rebel groups uh, increased. Uh, because now they've got one income stream that has left and there are rebel groups active in the region. And this was an opportunity for them to, to join them.
2: But we shouldn't forget that Debbie's play for the goldfields wasn't out of some yearning to strike a blow against organized crime. There is significant evidence to show that senior members of the military and intelligence have played a direct role in illicit activities. There certainly
6: has been uh, some uh, reported cases of corruption. I mean, corruption is is, is very high in, in chat overall. But, but I like to to work with with uh, you know some some of some facts. And, and most recently, uh, there was a, a high-profile case in in July 2020 when ten. High-level security officers, including a general, uh, there was a, another high-ranking intelligence uh, official, and and, and, uh, and some other military uh, members were sentenced for, for to 10 years uh, of prison for their involvement in uh, a drug trafficking ring. So helping to convey tramadol from... Um, I think it was Douala in, in Cameroon uh, and uh, and in, in in Benin, all the way to to Libya via Chad. Uh, so so that's that's a very clear case of you know uh, the military being actively involved in uh, some of these illicit economies.
2: So if there are state and non-state actors already playing a role in either facilitating or enabling illicit activities. After the death of Debbie and the vacuum of power left behind is a rise in criminal activities expected in the region. Here's Alice Faraday again.
8: These different flows of arms and people and drugs across the region and the activity of criminal armed groups is already there and already growing even prior to Debbie's death. What we're seeing is in terms of the concentration of criminal operations around goldfields in northern Chad, we're seeing mercenary or ex-mercenary groups who have long-standing combat experience in Libya. They have the capacity to move across vast areas between northern Chad, northern Niger, southern Libya, and they're able to leverage this in, in a wide range of criminal activities. This is something that has been increasing even prior to Debbie's death. So we're already seeing an increase um, in the activity of these criminal armed groups who are either directly involved in trafficking. So drugs, arms and people trafficking too. They may be hired to escort shipments and convoys and be involved in the protection of, of these trafficking activities. And of course, they also profit from the hijacking of these convoys too, which is a highly lucrative activity. And actually, we've, we've seen an increase of the activity of these Chadian bandage groups in northern Niger over the last year or so, who've been targeting in particular migrant smugglers, whereas they, I think, used to mainly um, target drug convoys. But now there, there is a huge pose to migrant smuggling too. So I think these are all activities that have benefited from the, the lack of state control in northern Chad and southern Libya. And should there be a um, security vacuum and and should there be further destabilization in the region? And I think all of these activities would really profit from, from that situation.
2: To die in battle as a head of state in the 21st century is very, very rare. Idris Deby was no stranger to fighting. Son of a herder, he joined the military and trained in France. His return saw the beginning of his meteoric rise to power, culminating in the coup of 1990, when he became president in his late 30s. With the support of France and other Western powers, Deby ruled his militarized state with an iron fist for three decades. Despite Chad being rich in natural resources, the kleptocratic nature of the Deby state meant that much of those profits were siphoned off, One institution that did benefit and thrive under Debbie was the military. Highly respected, well-trained, well-equipped, and well-funded. But this came at a price. The everyday Chadian was left to fend for themselves. During my reporting trip to Chad in 2016, we stayed at a UNHCR compound in Amjaras, Debbie's hometown Every morning, we drove for an hour to a refugee camp through the relentless desert heat, the endless views of nothing but sand and the faint smell of another dead carcass lingering in the air. The refugee camp itself was caught in its own battle against the Sahara, fighting to keep over 20,000 people alive amid a severe scarcity of natural resources. Every evening, when we returned to Amjaras, I was struck by the absurd grandeur of President Idris Debi. His home in Amjuras was so magnificent, so inappropriately palatial that it almost didn't feel real. The road leading to it was lined with pillars stretching at least two meters high in what to me appeared a clumsy imitation of the columns of ancient Rome. The contradictions were alarming. Now, Debi enjoyed significant support from Western powers, particularly France and the United States, where he was seen as a stalwart defender against jihadist groups that roam the Sahel region. During the 2000s, Chad became a significant producer of oil, and the Debi regime invested those profits into a strong military. That military worked closely with French forces stationed in the country the UN mission in Mali, the U.S. war against Boko Haram, and was a lead member of the G5 Sahel Joint Force for Counterterrorism.
1: When talking about the Sahel, Chad is not engaged in the Sahel just to fight terrorism uh, within the G5 Sahel, but Chad is engaged in the Sahel also as a part of the partnership and the commitment between Chad and France.
2: This is Dr. Ramaji Hoinathi, a senior researcher at the Institute for Security Studies, where he covers West Africa, the Sahel and the Lake Chad Basin.
1: So we have here what we call this uh, military diplomacy uh, that is for Chad to engage with France in all those terrains. And the reason is not just fighting terrorism, but within this commitment and this engagement between the two states, France have always been supporting President Deby in keeping his seat as president of Chad. And so the actual regime, seen as it's a, it's a young one, needs the same support that Deby used to get from France to keep the seat as president. So the Trans- military transitional council would uh, strictly commit to all the engagements that President Deby used to have with France in combating terrorism. So I think that in the Sahel, Chadians' position won't really change. As far as they need France here to help keep the position and have the diplomatic support of France, they will keep the agenda that Deby used to have in the Sahel with France.
2: Indeed, the view was that the Deby regime was a stabilizing force in the region. France stepped in to protect it against a large convoy of Union de Force de la Résistance rebels. The French presence in its former colony is significant they maintain a permanent base in the capital in from where they launch counter-terrorism operations in the Sahel. Such is the importance France placed on the débit tenure that President Macron attended his funeral in person.
7: Idriss,
8: you were an exemplary leader and a courageous warrior, but you also knew the value of diplomacy and cooperation between men and peoples. You put these convictions at the service of the entire
1: continent
7: when you were called on by your peers.
2: But Debbie, a shrewd politician, was not always the easiest ally. Here's Jérôme Tobiana again.
3: Now, Debbie was not always a great friend of, of France, to, to be honest. He was uh, sometimes a difficult uh, difficult to deal with and, and uh, uh, reasserting his, his own uh, positions. Uh, he didn't want his policy to be dictated by France. He rather wanted him to, to dictate France uh, which policy to, to follow in in Chad of course, but also in, in the wider region. Demi was clearly a very good analyst of, of regional dynamics. And uh, to some extent he, he managed to impose his views on on France, with one exception certainly on, on which he was uh, he remained very bitter, it was Sarkozy's operation, or NATO operation initiated by Sarkozy against Gaddafi in 2011. Debbie was an ally of Gaddafi and he probably, quite rightly, thought Libya after Gaddafi would be a dangerous place, uh, destabilizing, including destabilizing Chad, and somehow he was right.
2: Now, if we look at the situation in neighboring Mali, where there has been a second military coup in nine months.
5: Mali's interim president and prime minister resigned on Wednesday, two days after they were detained by the military. That's according to an aide to Colonel Asimi Goita. He's the country's interim vice president and leader of an august coup d'etat. His soldiers arrested President Barton Dow and Prime Minister Mokhtar One on Monday evening. Their resignations on Wednesday came during a visit by a delegation from the Economic Community of West African States. ECOWAS mediated after the august coup and is now trying to resolve the military's latest political intervention. Mali's neighbors and international powers have condemned the military's move. They fear increased insecurity in a country that jihadist groups have used as a launch pad for attacks across the region.
2: Nations such as France have condemned those involved, and yet the tone towards the Transitional Military Council is very different. Here's Remaji again.
1: Uh, we have the, the impression that here... The cooperation between Chad and France is too much on military affairs. And uh, the cooperation between Chad and France is not really about Chadians, considering the populations and the inhabitants. Uh, it's not, uh, the cooperation is more about supporting a regime, supporting a group of people that will keep the power here, but at the same time being ready to follow France on its agenda, agendas out of the country. And so we have to nuance when we say cooperation between Chad and France. It's, to my opinion, this cooperation is resulting more in a support to a regime with the strongman that Debbie used to be, and actually to the new man trying to, to, to strengthen himself and his position to the benediction of France. This should be clearly stated.
2: Debbie has played a part in every regional conflict from Sudan to Libya and the Central African Republic not to mention the constant threats from rebel groups within Chad itself, often led by members of his own extended family. After his sudden death, as with the illicit economy, the vacuum left behind will create significant and long-lasting changes in the region. Chad shares a 900-kilometer border with Sudan. Most importantly, along this border is the Darfur region, in which, since 2003, A conflict has raged, causing hundreds of thousands of deaths and millions to flee their homes. For many years, Debi had strained relations with his former counterpart in Sudan, Omar al-Bashir, who was overthrown by the military in 2019 after 30 years of leading the country. The transitional military council that replaced Bashir had much better relations with Debi. So, how will the current military-dominated transitional government in Khartoum react to this sudden change at the top of the Chadian state?
1: I think that Sudan might be a danger for Chad, as much as Chad could also, you know, with the the destabilization, be a danger for Sudan. So, uh, actually, the two countries are keeping an very close eye on what's happening on the borders, so to keep things stable, because a country like Chad, you know, most of the rebellions has to take the road from the Sudanese boundary to Jamena. And this is kind of the highway to the power. So, no, Chad should be keeping a very close eye on the dynamics in Sudan. And uh, last week, we observed some um, community conflict in the Darfur. And this is also something that from here should be watched closely. As far as Chad will remain stable, uh, I think that there shouldn't be any danger uh, on Sudan.
2: As the conflict in Darfur continues, the new Transitional Military Council also has its long southern border with the Central African Republic to consider.
1: It has been asserted and reported that a lot of the people within the the CAR rebellions have been originated from Chad, that they have a lot of contenders with some officers within the Chadian army. So I think Chad has a very complex role in CAR. First, being officially a kind of an ally and a friend country to the C.A.R., but at the same time, you know, being kind of godfathering in some way some of the rebellion. So uh, it's a very complex role. And what makes this more complex is that when the, the last conflict started in uh, C.A.R., the people that have been targeted by the anti-baraka within, uh, within the capital city in Bangui, a lot of them, although they have, um, you know, citizens of C.A.R., A lot of them have Chadian origins.
2: This complex role the Chadian military plays in the Central African Republic was displayed on the 30th of May, 2021, when at a border post between the CAR and Chad, six Chadian soldiers and three Russians on a military mission to assist the Central African Republic were killed. An international investigation has been called for. This shows that at the moment, Chad, under the new Transitional Military Council, hasn't felt the need to turn inward to retain and consolidate its hold over the country. Imad Badi.
7: At the moment, the transition, there seems to be a doubling down on the Military Transition Council, despite the fact that, socially speaking, communally speaking, its legitimacy is somewhat contested. This emboldens kind of also rebel groups, it creates social cleavages that they can either exploit or just tap into that actually have a communal legitimacy, uh, whether that is used constructively to kind of usher in a more stable transition or violently to overthrow the Military Transition Council will depend a lot on how foreign states deal with Chad. So I think uh, the position of states that have influence in the region, such as France, for example, will be key here. And I don't think it's very wise to double down on the MTC when clearly it's not what most of the communities want, basically.
2: But if Chad does start to become embroiled in internal issues, will it take a step back from the leading military role that's played in the counterterrorism group the G5 Sahel, of which Debbie was the current president. Then, of course, there is Mali, which we heard earlier on is currently going through its own internal crisis with a military coup on May 25th. So what about the UN mission to Mali, MINUSMA? The French have announced its halting joint military operations in the country and if Chad withdraws its forces, Will jihadists like Boko Haram exploit the void left behind by one of the more capable military forces in the region and even increase attacks in the Lake Chad basin? Here's Ramaji Hoenathi again.
1: The Chadian army uh, and actually the the Transitional uh, uh, Military Council will remain very strong on the military agenda because it's in the name of the necessity to keep the country stable to keep the, the region stable, that these military coup have been possible and supported by France and accepted by the African Union and other regional institutions. So for them to keep being uh, reliable, they have to keep very strong the agenda on keeping the country stable and keeping Chad on the international agenda against terror.
2: The importance of the Lake Chad Basin to the stability of this new government was shown when the new leader, Mahamat Idris Debi, traveled to neighboring Niger, one of the G5 Sahel group members, where over 1,000 Chadian troops are stationed in the fight against extremists that plague the region. Trouble, it seems, is surrounding Chad. But perhaps the most significant risk is closer to home. Here's Jérôme Toubiana.
3: The first worry within the international community, and especially France, well, was still based on, on that short-sighted view that Chad is, is mostly a provider of troops and, uh, and and good troops for fighting elsewhere. It's not paying much attention to the, the situation within Chad I- itself with uh, that lack of, uh, of democratic rule, uh, but also also of good governance and, and development. And ethnic tensions have been increasing uh, all across Chad in the latest decades. So, unfortunately, I think that the rethinking on that should, should be if the only really capable force in the Sahel is the Chadian army, there will be problems. There should be very quickly an alternative strategy. and It, it, it was not any, anywhere sustainable. That army is not that big. It's already overstretched. Its own appetite to fight uh, outside Chad uh, while there are so many problems in Chad is, is also quite limited. Soldiers are not necessarily happy to somehow play a mercenary role in, in conflicts that don't really concern them.
2: The Transitional Military Council led by Mahamat Idris Debi has a significant task on its hands. The decades of underdevelopment of the economy and state infrastructure, ethnic tensions, multiple rebel groups, extremist groups, protests against the new Transitional Military Council, an overstretched army and wider geopolitical players vying for influence. Alongside this, a population with a reliance on illicit markets to survive. Here's Alex Bisch again.
6: So the stability of, of this new government will really affect illicit economies in the country. But the capacity of the new government to counter the efforts by the rebels to take a hold, in particular, of the north of the country... There's a real fear that you know, rebels may manage to, to displace their base from southern Libya to northern Chad. Having said that, it's also important to remind that it depends on the illicit market, but illicit markets tend to thrive in both times of instability and times of stability. So in both cases, given the high levels of, of corruption, we're likely to see a continuation in in many of the illicit economies that are already present in, in Chad.
2: The threat from fact appears to have subsided for now, but we've outlined the challenges facing Mahamat Idris Debi and the new military council he leads, including northern Chad and the illicit markets that thrive there. Alice Faraday.
8: I think the the CMT and the transitional government will be very cautious in terms of how it deals with northern Chad. Because there's the issue of criminal activity, and obviously there's, there's trafficking, there's these very organized criminal groups. But then the illicit activities also include, let's say, softer forms of activities that are, that are not legal, but that are really at the heart of livelihoods for communities in Northern Shad. So in particular, that would be gold mining which has been officially banned several times, but never really enforced in the Tibesti region, and migrant smuggling. So these activities are really important for local communities. So in particular, the Teda Tebu community in Northern Chad, but that also has communities in Northern Niger and Southern Libya. And these are communities that I think the CMT will seek to appease rather than antagonize. So if there is a crackdown, I think they will be very cautious in terms of how they go about it, It may be that they choose to to turn a blind eye or to continue to turn a blind eye to gold mining and migrant smuggling and possibly try in some way to to crack down on on the sort of, let's say, heavier forms of of, um, transnational organised crime, such as drug trafficking and arms trafficking. But I think that's going to be very difficult because these gold fields really serve as hubs for polycriminal groups.
2: Illicit markets and organized crime thrive where there is insecurity, inequality, and lack of development. In Chad, illicit markets and activities have been firmly entrenched for decades, this despite President Idris Deby's iron-fisted rule and renowned army. In the aftermath of his death, it appears little will change. Unless a new government prioritizes development and good governance, Particularly in marginalized regions, Chad is likely to stray even further down a precarious path with serious implications for the broader region. That's all we've got time for in this episode of Africa and the Global Illicit Economy. A special thank you to Ramaji Hoinathi. Alice Faraday, Alex Bish, Emad Badi and Jérôme Tobiana. For more analysis on what Idris Debi's death means for the illicit economies of Chad and the Sahel Sahara region, as well as a substantial report from the North Africa and Sahel Observatory called After the Storm, organized crime across the Sahel Sahara following upheaval in Libya and Mali. There are some links in the summary to this show. You can also check out our social media channels for the latest analysis on transnational organized crime from around the world. Just search for the Global Initiative and you'll find us. Finally, for more reports, policy briefs and videos, head over to our website www.globalinitiative.net. You can also find more podcasts there or wherever you listen. This is is Africa and the Global Illicit Economy from the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime. I'm Lindim Tongana. Thanks for listening.